Hi, y'all. Welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Sarah Shackett, the Associate Craft Editor over at IndieWire. And today I have a conversation with incredible uh, first-time filmmaker Charlotte Wells, whose debut feature, After Sun, is now out uh, in theaters. Thank goodness. You should go see it. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. It's it's incredible, uh, this film, and the way that it dramatizes um, visually the nature of memory um, and kind of the nature of loss and and the things that we are left with from our past. But it's also about a, a wonderful Scottish preteen and her dad on holiday in Turkey. Uh, so it's, it's not all heady and sadness, although the heady sadness is pretty great. Uh, and Charlotte was, was kind enough to talk a little bit about her thoughts on the structure of the film, uh, sort of specifically uh, the perspectives and point of views that she's able to create, which makes the story uh, so poignant and have its charge. Um, so I'm just going to get out of the way of this intro. Uh, please enjoy this conversation with Charlotte Wells. To start, I'd love to ask you, I know that the the film kind of began when you were starting to think about it as as perhaps a more conventional story of a, a father and daughter on vacation. But when it became very much about memory and about like the recall of a of a person you care about deeply, does that change your writing process at all? Are you having to like write a lot and then pare it away? Are you writing like extraneous things or or is like the the act of screenwriting something like that just similar? No, it's all one slow, torturous process, <laughs> slowly working toward what it became. I mean, it's it's interesting thinking about its evolution from something that began as more conventional, but really only in my mind. It was never that on the page. The framework of memory, the rave, always existed from the first full draft of the script though maybe not in the 14 pages or so that I sat with for two years. In some ways, it was always going to be this film. It was just a process for me to understand what was truly interesting about this story to me and what it is I had to say. Is And is that, I'm curious if that interest, it sort of, I, I mean, it's everything that's in the film, I'm sure, but also is that like, finding the right perspective? Is it finding, like, I can tell this with a mix of different kinds of footage? Like, what what is the interest that kind of grabbed you? Thinking about two people having this shared experience on a holiday or anywhere else, but a shared experience that is positive. And simultaneously, in time apart, having experiences that are more complicated not negative per se but less straightforwardly fun and warm and and positive and that those two things were not mutually exclusive I think once I realized that that was at the heart of what interested me about this story it complicated the perspectives held within it I've heard you I've heard you say somewhere that like a lot of people wanted you to put tension in this movie and it was kind of a balancing act of like how you were going to do that and where it was going to go I would love to hear you talk about that process a little bit yeah I think as I as the project evolved away from something more conventional whatever that means um, in story and structure and became 
this other thing, this thing about memory, there were remnants of that earlier version that endured. And one of those elements that endured for a very long time was a dramatic tension derived from their relationship. In the conventional arc of that relationship, as it was articulated to me, was as the story begins, their relationship is somehow false and tension builds and there is a break. And at the conclusion, their relationship is suddenly truer, you know? I just, the second that was articulated to me, I realized that was the opposite of what I wanted this film to be about. I wanted this to be a relationship that was true from the very first frame, that was a relationship based on understanding and respect and love. And that doesn't mean that there is not some tension between them at points. There is, but it isn't the primary tension of the film. And sometimes when you hear feedback that is not what you're trying to do, it, it is the most clarifying um, because this, this, in having a very strong reaction, it makes clear what is important to you. And sometimes that's the way that that needs to come about. Um, and that was probably the last major rewrite of the script. The last major rewrite of the script. Uh, when did I, when did I remove all the tension? I went through the Sundance labs and I think I removed all the tension. I removed much of the tension in their relationship after the writer's lab and after the director's lab, I did another significant redraft in which Callum's private moments were the anchor points on the floor of my office uh, via index cards. I laid those down first, just so I had a clearer sense of what that arc was for him. And then that ultimately is where the tension comes in the film. It is the gradual unveiling of his private struggle. Uh, it, it is not from their relationship. Yeah, it feels appropriate that it, those conflicts are private in a film that is about someone trying to remember and kind of project onto another person. Um, yeah. I would love to talk about kind of visually what the film does to, to represent memory, because it's so striking both like the DV footage and kind of how, how After Sun treats color generally. It feels like looking at a memory. I'm curious if you could talk about sort of your process there. Yeah, I mean, color was so much fun to work with in this film. I've worked with the same colorist for a while now. Um, I kind of cold called her on LinkedIn <laughs> uh, when when laps very unfinished got into Sundance, um, which was my second short film. We wanted the color to be very present. That was our defining word for a film set in the past. We did not want to play into any idea of a faded image or color palette. Uh, Greg, the cinematographer, and I used our own holiday photos as a start starting point for the the um, the color palette and tone of the film. What sunlight might look like, what skin tones might look like, what like how crushed blacks were, levels of contrast, and the defining word was present. We we wanted it to feel very very vivid, which I think it does, and and I really love. And I took a cue from 
Joanna Hogsville and the Souvenir, only part one had come out when we went into production, but it's approach to period and not overemphasizing period, not allowing period to distract from, from the film. And, and I hear people speak about nostalgia in relation to this film. And I think that is a part of it, but that is people bringing their own memories of a period to the watching of it. We tried not to play too directly into that on screen. I think that is something that that people bring to it. I'd also love to, to hear you talk about uh, working with um, the camcorder footage and the DV footage and the challenges and, and joys there. Yeah, there were more joys than challenges in a lot of ways. And I'm not sure there are many parts of production I could say that about. But the DV was so special. I remember the first time that we hooked up on set we were, we did a test of it one afternoon at the end of the day, and it was just Frankie jumping into the pool, the scene where she jumps onto the lilo, which was quite specifically scripted. And we had playback on a monitor and you're seeing through this monitor in 2021 at this Turkish hotel uh, on, on the coast, this image that really looks like it could be from the late, 90s and it is so so surreal and it's so evocative at least I think for people of around my age who have a relationship to that type of footage whose own childhood may be captured to some degree on that format it was a really special moment and it was very freeing just to put the camera in the hands of the actors my DP could stand back and see for the first time in those sequences what was happening on set and um, it was just a lot of fun. It wasn't as freeing as I hoped it would be. I had an image of just the actors and me. And in fact, there's still a hundred other people standing around and you still have a sound mixer and a boom operator, but still there was a lot of fun and freedom in those sequences. And there are some in the film that were instances of Paul Frankie and I just roaming the streets of Olu Dennis, the, the town that we were in. Um, Big Head is is the one that ended up in the film where he he's saying that she has a big head and she says that's a bit rude. Um, was one that wasn't scripted, was just them messing around and they were so fun to capture. I don't know why I incorporated them into the film. Well, I do. Uh, there There is a one tape of DB footage of me around that age. I'm playing chess with my dad and his friend and we were all cut off at our collarbone. So it's just everybody's body, but not their heads. And it's utterly surreal and totally banal. My dad and his friend are having a conversation about work. Music is playing in the background. And it's so strange to have as a record of that moment. And I found myself writing it into the film. The opening of the script was the opening of that tape, which is this blurry morphing of white to cream to blue. I assume the cap was on the camera and different objects were passing in front of it. And I just wrote exactly as I saw. It evolved on the page and it seemed insane, but it also, to your question earlier, was this amazing tool for point of view and allowed each character to see one another and then to see playback of the other's direct point of view of, of them if you know yeah. what I mean and it was just a, a a really interesting addition to to that aspect of the film and also provided story 
or, or anchor points for memory. Like these are things that happen. At one point, I wondered about shooting that footage with different actors, which I think would have been insane, which is why I didn't do it. But those are the kind of ideas floating through my head about how you separate this, this, this record of fact, even though seen through one person's eye. Right, it's fact, but it's not objective. Yeah, but it's not as subjective as, as memory. Um, and, and so occupied this interesting middle space. That's fascinating. Um, there's kind of something going on with the um, cinematography generally of like not doing verite necessarily, but there's a lot of stuff that feels like found. And I'm curious, like kind of how you approach shooting stuff like that. Is is that kind of scripted into scenes? Is that something you're like, okay, we're going to take a day and go find a bunch of B-roll? What are some images you have in your mind when you're asking that? I'm thinking of when they go to the um, the amphitheater um, and there's, you know, sort of uh, the perspective the camera takes while the two of them are having the conversation while they do t- Tai Chi or uh, Callum up on, on top of the stones while they're, they're singing happy birthday to him, things like that. Those are all interesting examples because they're all a confluence of the different, different potential answers to that question. There were some images that were scripted some were discovered on set, some were shortlisted meticulously, and some were kind of a combination of the three of laying down such a strong foundation, um, a mutual understanding of the visual language and strategies through each perspective of the film, so that when we got to set, we could try something as it was intended, and if it didn't work, we could adapt. For sure. And if that didn't work, we were open to discovering something completely new. And then you also have these shots, which is why I asked you to clarify images that you were thinking of, because what I, what I thought you may have been referring to were what were scripted as interstitial, interstitial images or sequences, which were shots of place, but devoid of people. And those were also a combination of those three things. They were in the script, but they took a great deal of time to capture. And actually, if I learned anything on this film, if I learned anything, I learned many things. (laughs) But one of the things I learned about shooting is B-roll, when done exquisitely, is just as intensive to shoot as anything else. No, that it strikes me like those those because they are like pieces of perspective that they have to be scripted to some degree. Yeah, and there were times, for example, the day that Paul and Frankie and I went out and captured Big Head was a day that production had fallen apart for various reasons. We were sh- we were supposed to shoot the bus. The bus broke down <laughs> before it made its way to set. And so Frankie, Paul, and I went roaming around with the DV camera, and Greg spent some time at the hotel capturing images. Of, of place um, and others in the hotel room were more, t- more time was taken over. But I think to do that well, like Edward Yang in looking at images from Yi, mm-hmm. those, those are just so perfectly captured and designed. And the time that must go into setting those shows up cannot be underestimated, which I think ultimately we we did. And they're the first thing to go. They seem unimportant. People are quick to strike them. 
from the shot list as you move through your day and aren't capturing what you need, but you do need them. And it, it's difficult to find the time to capture images that are so important to the texture of the film. And I always saw images like that as existing kind of out of time yeah. in many cases and are so integral to this idea of memory. You know, you lost your bag in in a grassy area as you walk through a corridor to reach your hotel room and somehow that bag is still there because where else would it be? Yeah. You know, it was interesting working out how that fit together once we got into the edit. That makes a ton of sense. And I'm curious just like uh, about the edit process as well, both like kind of how how much rewriting happens with the imagery that you now have and, and stringing it together and also like if you have an answer to it how you sort of keep your intensity and an immediacy on the material when you're seeing it over and over and over again like that um with great difficulty I think is is the answer to that part of the question fair enough and with breaks and with trust in each other, each other being me and Blair, uh, as we were through that process together, it was a pretty tough edit in a lot of ways. We moved around geographically, but there was so much fine tuning in this. It really small changes had profound effect on people's perceptions of the cut. And that was tough because one week we'd get a really positive response and the next week we'd get a very negative response and very little had changed. And so it was really about crafting very, very meticulously the pace and progression of the film. I think one thing that was scary as we went into production is you have this script and I was quite happy with where the script had landed as we went into production in a way I never had been before. I felt like this was the script I wanted to shoot. You shoot day one and it's your first day on the set of your first feature and you screw up <laughs> and you don't get a transition or you don't get a shot and you feel as though you failed, but it's okay because it was just the first day. And then you shoot another day <laughs> and you feel the same. And you have this thing that is, finite as a script, but somehow infinite in possibility of how it could be captured, mm. gradually become less infinite as the days progress until the point where it is utterly fixed to the footage that you have. What was a place with characters on the page that could have been anyone and anywhere is suddenly these people in this place at this time. But then you get to the edit and somehow it becomes infinite again within the confines of this footage that you have. And it's exactly the same process all over again, funneling the infinite possibilities into something that is immutable. Like the film is the film, that is it. Every cut now is, is the cut um, that, that exists. So it's a really fascinating process. And I think the biggest difference in moving from shorts to features for me was the edit. It, it was the part that felt least familiar in that speaking as somebody who's earned a living editing shorter form work for the past few years it it was a real learning curve to maintain the stamina to continue with one project which had already occupied every day of my life for almost a year at that point 
yeah. for another seven months. Is it, and I mean, is it, are you setting an extra level of difficulty for yourself because of, you know, long stretches without dialogue too, it seems like, that really just like when you're observing just these people and their body movements and the lighting and whether there's any music or not, like it can swing wildly one way or another. Hmm. That's interesting. My instinct is no. Oh, interesting. The scenes are the easiest. Yeah. But maybe that just speaks to my taste and I think Blair's taste too, where we're just so content to sit and watch people be. <laughs> I remember a moment in the cutting of my last short where you see a character on screen and it is a dialogue scene, but he's thinking, like he's really thinking about mm. what he's going to say. And I remember Blair saying, oh, there's no better thing than seeing somebody think, you know, like work through something internally. And I, I think I think it's true. It's just nice to see people be. The scene where Sophie cleans up the bedroom and folds the clothes was actually a show we had zero shooting plan for <laughs> when we came to shoot it. And it just worked perfectly. And I could watch it forever. But they, those scenes did raise pacing questions because we would tend to play them out for as long as humanly possible, every frame that we had. And then we get feedback <laughs> that said, don't do that. <laughs> and then we would negotiate within the edit room what was right, what served the story, what just served our personal inclinations. And it, it, was, it was a process. It was a process. But the dialogue scenes I mean dialogue scenes are hard to cut because you're cutting per performance and you have to balance performance with technical execution which is always a process I don't know I don't know but no my instinct is the quietest moments were the most pleasurable to to cut that's awesome I do have to ask you uh I'm honor bound about the the ending of the film and uh given given the needle drop i imagine that that was uh tricky to cut um uh, but i'd love to hear you talk about that sequence just sort of thinking through bringing bringing both of those characters back to the rave and and kind of that last experience that they have together i called it or my, my producer called it the snake pit is this that it's like a Wee herman reference right that i i did not know but it was the thing essentially that we had avoided <laughs> for a long time because it was a very challenging to cut because there were huge intervals of black and then a single frame of picture and then another eight second interval of black frame of picture it was just very difficult to work with and, and watch honestly um but it was also the thing that if it didn't work meant we didn't have a movie so you don't really want to find out you don't have a movie <laughs> when you're obliged to finish it either way. And eventually we did. And I brought Under Pressure into the cut late one night when we were cutting up in Scotland. I don't know why. I have no idea what possessed me. I have no particular affinity to that song other than adoring both David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. It felt like an inappropriate song for the hotel. I still think it is a little bit. It's a strange song to be playing in the background as they enter this party, but it worked immediately 
on top of the temp score. And I cut to it, I think, kind of cut the bulk of that scene in, in one night and it got a lot better, but it didn't change that much from the very first cut. We eventually went back and reshot the rape in London because of the trouble that we had with the footage and, and the feeling that we hadn't captured what we needed. And in the end, that that new footage was integrated into the very final moments of the rave and it makes it, it really makes it much, much better. But otherwise, much of the rave is, uh, yeah, it is as it was in that first cut and under pressure just worked. It always worked. Uh, we just had to earn it both practically and, and narratively. I mean, it's it's a little bit silly how, how well that song lines up to like, the desire that Sophie has as an adult and where those two people are in that moment as well. Yeah. I mean, lyrically it's so on the nose, it's outrageously on the nose. And I don't think that even occurred to me until several times of listening to it, what the lyrics were, you know, like it was more about the emotion and the vocal performance. I think that's, that's why I brought it in. If not just to entertain Blair, (laughs) And then I heard the lyrics and I thought, oh God, maybe this isn't possible. Can we possibly get away with this? And a friend, um, our assistant editor's husband gave us some feedback on the uh, on the cut. And he said, it's a choice with the capital C. And I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I know exactly how that was intended. It was intended to say it was a choice with the capital C and it's walking a very fine line. And it could easily tip in the wrong direction. And we just kept the faith that we could hold it just at the line that it needed to be held at. Greg, our cinematographer, was appalled by how on the nose the lyrics were (laughs) and absolutely told us that we could never get away with it. (laughs) And here you are. (laughs) And here we are. Here we are. Greg's right in 98% of the time, maybe 99. Yeah, it, it, it does have to be earned and and kind of the last thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about is were you at all mapping kind of when we go back to the rave throughout the film or sort of the emotional logic of switching over to Sophie as an adult or did that just sort of feel intuitive as part of the writing of the script no um I mean it no it was it was meticulously mapped out in the script and in the cut and the cut doesn't match the script precisely the script was a guide the most challenging part of those sequences and getting in and out of them were transitions, visual, sound, but more importantly, emotional transitions. When do these moments fall? I think in the very first cut, the first instance of the rave after the opening scene was where it sits in the final cut, but it took us a really long time, almost the duration of the edit to come back to that. And again, that's where we were living and dying in the cut. It was where those sequences fell, what you saw, what the transition in and out of them was. Callum's private moments and and the rave footage was what made a cut work or didn't work. It was listening to feedback. It was experimentation. It was trusting you'd be able to evolve those sequences in the sound mix, which is really a leap of faith. And I think I had a lot of conviction that sound and color would add a great deal to the final film. And I felt a security in in knowing that in a way that other people had a harder time making that leap, but I had quite a clear sense of what those two things were going to do. Um, And and makes a ton of sense. It's wild how powerful a bridge sound can be. 
Yeah, huh? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Jovan, my son mixer, thought those scenes worked until he he um put his magic touch on them and really did work hard to build out the soundscape of, of the rave and it made a huge difference. And it got it to the place that I always hoped it could. The rave was really hard on the page, but it was very hard to communicate what that would be on screen. And I didn't really know if it would work. I just hoped that it would, you know. I, I really did. And I was willing to bet their money <laughs> to find out um, and not edit them out of the script because it might not work. And I feel really grateful that it did. And um, it seems a bolder choice now with retrospect at seeing where if we hadn't executed certain things in a certain way, it, right. it wouldn't be the film that it, that it is. 